I know I'm under pressure today, okay? It's 1057. There's a Suns and Celtics game at noon. Waste management open. The big game. Don't want to be sued. 70 degrees and blue skies. I'd better preach short, but meaningful. Right? Amen? Can we get an amen to that? Which part? The short or the meaningful? I don't know which one you're... Got the short. Okay. Got you. Yeah. Are you holding others to standards that you will not hold yourself? And we don't want to look to the left, to the right, to the middle. Am I putting on anyone else a standard I would not hold myself to? Do you consistently compare your best to others' worst, especially certain people or certain groups? And what do you do with truth? Three questions we've asked in the mirror over the last many weeks. Glad to be back in the saddle today. I was in, and I want to first thank Dr. Dan last week uh, for the message. It was powerful, powerful message and convicting. And so I didn't listen to it again. I thought, you know, just get rid of it. Just go on. Delete, delete. Isn't that what you do with convicting messages? But I appreciate him using the mirror. But also to marvel that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God has a purpose for you. He has a great hope for you. And we just need to figure out how to lean into that, right? Just look for it. It's not always clear. Not always clear. But I have a new question today. As you look in the mirror, and if you look yourself in the eye, because we like to, you know, we look for things. The mirror is there to help us understand a little bit about what's going on with us uh, as we age or whatever, uh, or, or whatever it might be that we don't go out in public and embarrass ourselves. There's a lot of reasons for the mirror, but for this reason, as we look at it from a scriptural standpoint, and my daughter Tori is really going to like this title of the message today, I think. Are you writing checks with your mouth that your life can't cash? Are you writing checks with your mouth that your life can't cash? Promises, covenants, ambiguous, ambiguity. I've had to lean into that a little more recently, that ambiguous thing where it's up for interpretation, right? There's multiple meanings to what I said. Was it really a promise? You just took it wrong. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, what kind of promise can we make ourselves about our lives? And I'll 
follow that up next week, hopefully, with a message that will help us work through that. I know because I know it's an odd question to ask ourselves, but it's something I've really been pondering this past week. And what promises do I make others? Do I keep them? What promises have I made to God? Am I keeping them? What promises have I made to myself? Now, this could be from a lot of arenas. This could be not only from a spiritual standpoint. It could be from a a discipline that you need to put into your life, whether it's spiritual or all things are spiritual, though, right? But, But our health, our finances, our relationships, how we answer those three questions that I've been bringing to you week after week. But we set in that, and we kind of just rest and go, what promises... Am I making? And can my life cash that check? Kind of a tag on one of our other questions of the first that we've been going over very many all these weeks. Do you hold others to their commitments and promises that somehow or another you excuse yourself away on your commitments and promises? You want to hold other people to the line. But for some reason, you're able to excuse yourself. As we've said, the mirror often in Scripture, and it's not talked about a lot, but it often is talked about in the context of transformation. Again, I want to read for you Romans 12, 1 and 2 from the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. No doubt we have a culture today that wants to leave their options open, right? We like to be able to, if somebody asks us to commit to something or, or what we want to figure out a way to make that ambiguous, right? We want to make it where, well, yeah, I didn't quite say that I was going to show up for that. I, what if something else better comes along? So we have this opt out. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge thing. We've always had it, but it seems to be real prevalent in the day and age we live in today. The Word says, and one thing I love about Scripture, is that it's full of promises. We could spend all day today, it seems like, discussing, maybe not reading all of them, but just discussing the promises we find in Scripture. One of my favorites is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. One of the biggest challenges as we look in the mirror and as we begin to try to, as we look into what we can do uh, as far as our lives being turned over to the Lord and committing to him and trusting him is the question comes flying back is, can we trust God? Can, Can we trust his promise? Can we trust his promises? Because if I can trust him, how come I lost that job or how come I lost my baby even? My kids are messed up. I don't know what to do. My marriage is a mess. My finances are in a mess. Are you really trustworthy, God? See, trust, and you've heard me talk about even way back to the, to the sermon series, The Greatest, uh, back last summer. Trust is where you're confident or you're sure of the other's goodness and motive. Let me say it again. If you trust someone, you are confident in their motive. A few things are more sacred between people than trust. And when it fails, I'm not sure there's anything more devastating to a relationship. And it takes a long time to get it back. But it can be. And when you've had that trust broken time and time again, If you're not careful, one of your tendencies will be to begin to see your version of God through those lenses. Because you equate human beings and how they've done things and how they've treated you to what God is. You've heard me say this over and over. Trust is so valuable and so underrated. It is unbelievable to me that we don't talk about it more. It affects everything. But Scripture is full of promises that we can trust, though. But here's the tricky part about God's promises often, almost always. They come with conditions. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate reading a promise in the Word and you read just this part of it and you go, oh, that's an awesome promise. Oh, golly, there's a condition to it. Try reading God's promises. Look at them. There's conditions there most often, almost always. Because the problem is if there's a condition, there's a possibility that promise cannot be fulfilled. It's not because God is unfaithful. It's because the person doesn't fulfill the condition. We don't like to hear that. And I get it. God has promised, though, friends, those who believe in Jesus Christ for forgiveness 
forgiveness of their sins, they shall be what? Saved. God has promised his people eternal life. God has promised to supply every need we have. God has promised that his grace is sufficient for us. God has promised that his children will not be overtaken by temptation. God has promised us victory over death. God has promised that all things work for good for those who love and serve him faithfully. Here's a great promise. Jesus is returning. We haven't got to see that yet, have we? But he is not. You've heard me say this before. I just like reading it. It's just, it just rolls off my tongue, and I love it. Jesus is not returning spiritually, religiously, symbolically, or mystically, nor is Christ coming back incognito or secretly. Christ will return personally, literally, visibly, suddenly, dramatically, gloriously, and triumphantly. Please hear me. No one saved or lost will be questioning, who is this? Not one person will wonder, misunderstand, or mistake Christ for someone else. Everyone will know for certain. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and everyone will see him. That's a promise. But no matter how many times we read it, we still have a tendency to wonder, will he come through? And I understand that. I'm with you. There's no doubt the enemy wants to mess with our head. He wants to bring this to us. He wants to show us, going, whoa, yeah. And it goes all the way back to the garden. Did he say that really? Do you really believe in that promise? Is he looking out for your good? I question God's motives here. Did he tell you to really not eat from that tree? What's he holding back on? And we see it every day, right? Personal vows are broken every day in our lives. Even Christians, those who, those who we should we hope we believe and trust, our vow, things are broken. If you looked in the mirror today and you were able to ask this question, how good is my word? If I give my word, the words that come out of my mouth, I look people in the eye, my words that come out of my mouth, can my life cash that check? What does your circle of influence expect from you? One of the phrases that I just don't understand, and maybe it's my high sense of responsibility, and I don't mean that arrogantly, it just whatever, I, sometimes I wished I didn't have it. If you looked at my strength finders, one of my top things is responsibility. I, I wished I didn't have it. I told Jan this week, if you give me a task to do and I commit to it, I will do whatever I can figure out to do to finish it, but it drives me crazy. Even if I'm not good at it, I'll try to figure out how to do it. And it eats me up. Because I have this high sense of responsibility. Again, that doesn't mean that I hadn't broken promises. That doesn't mean I haven't come through when I should have come through. I'm not trying to put myself on any pedestal. But there are times, I don't know about you, but I have a high sense of responsibility. That if I commit to it, 
I'm going to do whatever I can to try to come through on it. And I don't know what that's from. I don't know if it's being raised in a home. I had somebody ask me one time, where do you get such a high sense of integrity? And again, I want to be careful here. I'm not trying to put myself there. Uh, The only answer I had was, I think, what Christ did in my life, but I also watched my parents. My dad owned a car business, and you know what the reputation of used car were, but my dad owned a car business, and if somebody came back and said, well, that transmission, you know, you sold me that car six months ago, and that transmission, you know, somehow or another just started messing up, and it's your fault, it's your fault. You know what my dad would do? Take the car back. Almost always. I'm not saying every time, but he would rather do that than have his reputation. I remember this is kind of silly because I always want to protect my parents' reputation. And it's kind of silly, but used to, when, when back when I, was, when I was in high school, back in the late 70s, uh, people who smoked marijuana, I would never smoke marijuana. But I drank a lot of alcohol, as most of you know. I've told, shared my story. A lot of alcohol. But the reason I wouldn't smoke marijuana wasn't because I was interested or not interested. I don't know. I didn't really like smoke. didn't like the smell of it, all that kind of whatever. I didn't want to eat Doritos all night. I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> but what I do know is this. Back in my day, if you smoked marijuana, you were a dopehead, pothead. And I could not in that little small town in Arkansas, a town of 400-something people, and towns, are, we were the largest town around us, okay, so i tell you that, within 20 miles. My dad was a big deal in that sense. And I was not going to taint his reputation by being a pothead. He said, well, Kurt, you drink. Yeah, but that was just boys being boys. Because that's how it was accepted. I tried to protect their integrity because I knew the kind of people they were and the kind of word they tried to share and who they tried to stand up for. So I don't know why, and again, what I'm trying to say here is I don't know, and again, I have failed many times in my life, even as a Christian, of not being able to stay on top of things and let things fall through. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But here's what I can't understand. You didn't think I'd ever get back to that, did you? Is this phrase. I like being around them because they put no expectations on me. Really? I want people to expect me to be something. I want people to expect me to be a man of integrity. I want people to expect me to be a, be a man of my word. I want people to be, expect me, when I say something, I'm going to do the best I can that my life will cash the check that I spoke. Not perfect. We'll see that someday in heaven. <laughs> but transformation, I'm transformed, and I'm being transformed. I'm not all the way there yet. But I'm trying. We make decisions here as a church. Often we get in this ambiguous thing. We don't know the answer to it. We've been through it over the last few weeks. I don't always know the answer. And you seek wise counsel. You seek scripture. You pray about it. And you have to at some point make a decision. We'll talk more about that next week, being decisive. But at some point you've got to make a decision. And you still don't know for sure. 
Are there certain people in your life that you look to? If you believe they've given you you their word, you just go, I can go cash that. If we had time today, I'd let you even list those off in in your mind or write them down. Who are the people in my life, if they tell me something, I can go cash that check. They're going to do the best they can for that to happen. question is are you one of those people or do you want to be one of those people where if your mouth is writing checks can your life cash them one of the biggest promises I've ever made in my life is the one I made to Jan in October 12, 1985. Obviously, I didn't know at that point I was going to make my commitment to the Lord and all that. Marriage. Had the chance to, to sit with Colton and Summer this week and just appreciate their lives and who, they're, who they are and who they're becoming and who they'll become together. But it reminds me of Marriage. marriage has always been here, right? It was in the garden. Scripture starts, creation starts with marriage, and it ends with marriage. Christ is coming back for his bride. When I read this often in many weddings, and I've done many of them in this room here, uh, some of you uh, uh, But I read this often, the vows we are making today are more than a rhythmic traditional verbiage, but they are truly a commitment, a promise, a covenant. A covenant that was established by God in creation has been blessed through the age by the people of God. It is so honored and blessed that Christian marriage signifies to us the beauty and mystery of the union that Christ has with his church, and Scripture commends it to be honored among all people. The power of a promise made, the power of a promise kept. You cannot be ambiguous about the words I just read there. You can't just say, well, that was up for you. You got two people standing in front of a, of a church, and they're going, well, I, I thought it meant this. I just want to leave those vows up for interpretation. No, you better understand. You better both agree what those vows mean. Not just up for interpretation. You, you thought it meant that. I thought it meant no. When we read Romans 12, 1 and 2, you need to know what that means. The reason I keep reading it in the message, it is about transformation. It is about moving to the highest level, not to the lowest level, because the world will drag you down to that immaturity. Scripture says that. It's the reason why we can't be like the world and barking on social media, whatever it may be. We have got to be more like Christ. I've heard people say before, but I've known for a long time, he says, well, I know what it's like to be married because I've lived with so many different women. Never got married. 
And I just laugh to myself, not in his face, going, no, you don't know because you never committed. You don't know what it's like till you give, till you decide. You don't know what it's like. You, you, if you always have an opt-out, if you always have a place where you can get out of it when you want to, you don't know what that means. Committing yourself to Christ is different than knowing about church, attending church, giving at church. It's different than committing yourself to him. Let me say this. Marriage will always be what marriage was created to be, no matter what culture or society wants to define it as. Marriage will always be what it was designed to be. And let me say this. No marriage was ever about just that couple. Let me say it again. No marriage was ever just about that couple. No one gets married in a vacuum. It's ignorance or arrogance for us to think that way. How healthy or unhealthy has a direct effect if you have children, not only when they're in your home, but even after they leave your home. And many of you have had ripples of that effect, haven't you? It has a direct and indirect effect on your parents, your siblings, your friends, and even, yes, your coworkers. It is about future generations. It is critical for our society. I love what Russell Moore, and you can feel how you want to feel about Russell Moore, but I love what he says, a quote I got years ago. And he says, he's talking about when people gather for the wedding ceremony. He says this, and so when we are, just listen, I don't have it on the screen. So when we are gathering for a wedding, we have a gathering of witnesses. The people there aren't just guests at the party. There are people who are witnessing the vows that are being made with the implicit message there. We are representing the body of Christ to hold you accountable to these vows, to help you through these vows, to support you as you seek to keep these vows. And he goes on to say, a couple starting out a, a wedding, frankly, don't know how vow, don't know the vows that they need to make without the rest of the body of Christ and those who've gone before them. A 25-year-old couple, they're not thinking about Alzheimer's disease. They're not thinking about what happens when we find out that our small child is dying with cancer. They don't think about what happens if one of us commits adultery and we have to work through the aftermath of it. The rest of the body of Christ is speaking on the fact that the vows you are making to one another aren't simply things that are in, condition, or in, a, in, in conditions as they are right now. It's not simply when they are in conditions that you can imagine right now, but it's in sickness and in health. For richer, for poor, till death do us part, those are the sort of vows that ought to be made. You put that on the wedding invitation? And say, hey, before you RSVP, read this. And don't RSVP if you can't help us with this. You want to get smaller weddings? <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Want to save some money? Put it on a down payment on a house? Sure. I'm just saying. Let's do some vetting. If the church did nothing else but represented healthy marriages in our society, we would transform our culture. 
If that's all we did. If that's all we did. A promise. that my, I made a promise that I'm going to do everything I can. I would have never, 35 years ago, if I'd have been Jan's pastor, I'd have told her, do not marry this guy. No way would have I said that. I said, do not marry him. But the power of a transforming God. I'm not what I want to be, but I'm sure not what I used to be. I am transformed and I am being transformed. And that means... Today, as much as it was 35 years, I hope I, it, it's 63 now or 62. What, what am I right now? 61. 62, I hope I'm better than I was at 61. I hope I continue to be more and more like Christ. But the power of a promise. Many of you know a good friend of ours. Many of you have been, how many have ever been to Friendly Chapel, raise your hand in here. There we go. We've got quite a few folks in this room. A movie coming out, hopefully sometime this spring, called Paul's Promise. I want to show a clip of the trailer of that right now and talk about it as we close today. Dear God, my first request was for my son Paul. He's stubborn as a mule. Why you got to go and make me feel bad? Why you got to eavesdrop? There ain't nothing I can say to thank y'all enough. How's your mama? Is that a friend of yours, Paul? No. I don't know him. He don't know me. You two closer to peas in a pod when you were kids. Somebody like that tried to talk to me about my mama, I'd have knocked the two front teeth out. It's a long story. I ain't proud of it. Well, sometimes those are the best sort of stories to tell. Your mama's been ready to meet her maker half her life. So if she's still hanging on, I'm sure she's got a good reason. Your mama deserves to have one man in her life come through for her. You're nagging me about being a better daddy. She's dying and ain't nothing I can do about it. We all get lost sometimes. The important thing is what we do with our life when we find our way back. promise I brought I text brother Paul senior junior last night that's about brother Paul senior many of you know I said give me the words of what the promise really was and there's actually more than one promise because I went back in some of my other notes after he had texted me this and his mom Minnie was dying in the hospital I'm not trying to Spoiler alert, close your ear. <laughs> Most of you already know this. She was dying in the hospital and she wouldn't die. She's supposed to have died a long time before that. She wouldn't die. And the reason why she said she wouldn't die is because who's going to pray for my kids? So she made Paul, senior, this promise. He says, Mama, I'm going to pray for Buddy Opal and Billie Jean. She died moments after the promise, after holding on for months and months with doctors saying she won't take it, make it through the night. Dad had told her over and over, it's okay to go to heaven. She would say, Paul, who's going to pray for my kids? You're all headed to hell. He said he didn't plan to make that promise. <laughs> He said, but as soon as he made the promise, she went to heaven. 
in that moment. He said, Dad went out that day and told the, th- the, other, the other three siblings, I'm taking Mama's place, and I'm going to be on you. Dad got to pray with Buddy and Opal to come to Christ. I got to pray with Billie Jean on her deathbed. We thought. Billie Jean harbored more bitterness and animosity towards God's work than anyone I knew. She called into radio station and talked about her dumb brother, which is Paul Sr., letting the poor use him, how stupid he was to spend his retirement on these no-counts. Billie Jean lived another year when I prayed with her on her deathbed, and she gave her life to Christ. Instead of dying after the prayer, she lived another year. And he said, in that year, a totally different sweet person. He said, she left me voice messages talking about the amazing things my dad had done. Transform. And Minnie Holderfield, let me give you a little backdrop of Mama Holderfield. She was empowered by God to pray for her children and for her husband. When her six-year-old son, Orville, died, she went out into a field. She said there was whiskey bottles and cigars laying all around. She said, laid out in that field, and a light began to show on her. And she asked God to forgive her and promised God if he would give her more children, she would live for him and pray for them. What she didn't know was that promise she made God would change a community. See the promise? See the ripple of a promise? In a field surrounded by whiskey bottles and cigars? In your deepest, darkest moment, you make a promise? And you stay with it? And then your son makes a promise to carry out that promise? And they change a city. I told Brother Paul last night, he said, I said, you know what? I said, I still see the evidence of your dad's God, your promise. And he goes, how's that? I said, I look in the mirror every day. And I see the evidence of a Paul Sr. on my life. Of a promise made by Minnie Holderfield in a field surrounded by whiskey bottles and cigars. Because of the death of a six-year-old. The power of a promise kept cannot be understated especially when it's made to God and God makes it to us some of you may need to make some promises I'm going to give you a week to think about it sometimes you make promises and the details come later anybody ever been there If you got married, I can tell you that's one of them. <laughs> Details come later. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life.
his commitment to us. He did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Amen? Amen. We're going to go now in time of communion, taking of the Lord's Supper, and ask Josiah and him to come on up. But as we do, just to be thinking, over this next week, your challenge to look in the mirror. Am I the kind of person right now, or do I want to be, that the commitments my mouth is making, that my life can cash those checks? How many have troubles sometimes opening these up? This may be a day where I do not partake of the bread. How about that? Well, there you go. Best laid plans. But the Lord knows my heart on this one. Because he knows this week and there's been a lot of crazy things as we look around our world. Because isn't it right? I think you'd agree with all the other things that have gone on. Life still happens too. With all the disruptions and all the things, life is still continued. And we've got those challenges too. But we look to the promises. We look to the hills. We look to the mountains. Where does my hope come from? As many of you heard me say over the years, from the last 25 years or so, get your head up and ask for the eyes of Christ. It'll change the way you walk through this world. But as we remember now what Christ did for us, as he was betrayed on that night, as Paul has told us, and I'm going to give us just a second. Maybe it should be longer. He said, before we partake, though, to examine ourselves. Jesus says to remember. Remember what he did for us. To fulfill a promise. Well, let's just take just a moment to remember Christ. If you forget anything else, don't forget Christ. Maybe ask yourself now, Lord, am I the type of person what commitments I make and the promises I make and the covenants I make my life can cash that check and if the answer that's no today then let me ask you another question do you want to be the type of person that your life and the commitments and promises that you make your life will cash those. That's a great place to start. So, Lord, today, 
We'll just be quiet for a moment. Would you process it in us? Lord, thank you now for these moments. Christ broke the bread and night they said eat remembrance take now and eat that same time he took the cup he said this cup represents my blood to shed for you drink now and remember Christ has done for you and for your comfort. We'll talk more about it next week, Lord willing, because I thought I was going to talk about it this week. <laughs> so we will see how long this series lasts. What does it mean to make a promise? What does it look like to make a commitment? Think about it this week, if you would. Let me pray over those right now as we're going to sing as we get out of here. I know I didn't go short, sorry. I just want to pray specifically over those that maybe have made promises. Somehow they just didn't come through or, or I just want to pray right now, Lord, over those that are listening online, maybe locally or across the country, maybe around the world or even in this room, who have made significant promises. Maybe at the time they didn't understand what all that meant, but maybe they did, and still their life didn't back up the commitments they were making. Lord, as you've heard me, you, you've allowed me to use here Maria Robinson's statement, we can't go back and write a new beginning. We can start today and write a new ending. Lord, to go to those we need to ask for forgiveness from. But Lord, you're a God of reconciliation. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Lord, today you are restoring. It may be a little bit at a time or at times a lot at a time. But Lord, I pray today that you will restore not only their trust in you for sure, but Lord, that they would begin to be a person who can be trusted. Not only in their relationship to you, but their relationship with others. And Lord, if there are people in here today that are saying, I just want to be hang out with people who expect nothing from me. Lord, I understand kind of how that's said, but Lord, I don't on other sides of it. I want to be a person that people have expectations of. Because I think that's what it means to be a witness for the kingdom of God. People are expecting us in our marriages, the way we live, what we post, how we respond, 
They expect something from us. And Lord, man alive, I hope it's reflecting you. Give us hope. Give us power and courage to live this out. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.